0: on onside, the late man
1: Matthews, great move, what a goal! beauty, Austin Matthews.
0: Matthews flipped it up for Marner, Mitch Marner, centering, Hyman to the net, scores! He took down and his shot strapped him in the corner of the ring. Here we go, episode 5 of Not Another Leafs Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network, Ken Stapon joined by Brendan McCarthy and DMACC, the second round is underway. A couple upsets in that first round, including one that you called earlier on in the earlier episode, the Vancouver Canucks advancing against the stand, defending Stanley Cup champion, St. Louis Blues. I didn't see that one coming.
1: Staple, staple turning point win for the Canucks. And I, I said they would take the Blues. I didn't give a a prediction in terms of what the series would end up with, whether it be in five or six. Ends up being in six games, but... Really, really like what I'm seeing from the Canucks right now. Uh, obviously, they're, they're loaded with talent, with young talent, and Pedersen, and Besser, and, and Horvat, really leading the way. Hughes on uh, the blue some... line. Quinn Hughes, too, up for Calder this year. And it's it's really, really great to see, especially given how they're the only Canadian team left. I don't think I had these guys as the sole Canadian team left to make a deep push, but here we are. I know they got rocked last night by the Vegas golden Knights, bit of a Yikes. wake up call. Also they had a quick turnaround as well after knocking off the defending cup champs. And I did want to make the point about Alan Walsh because he looks pretty stupid right now with Leonard getting a shutout. <laughs>
0: yeah. What a bad timing for that tweet. Eh? I mean, you put out that your client deserves the star. I'm sure everybody's seen the tweet at this point with the sword going through Mark Andre Fleury's back and, the head coach's name, DeBoer, on the blade. And obviously, Flurry has been good in net for the Vegas Golden Knights, but I don't think there's any question that through this playoffs, Leonard has been the guy and he's been up to the task to this point. I think that you only create controversy when you start Flurry on the second leg of the back to back because there's no reason that they couldn't have put him in in the following game. Like he's played well when he has opportunities to go in between the pipes. And you almost just create a controversy by putting in a second guy when the first guy's playing well in the first place. I know the analytics say that the second leg of the back-to-back, this goalie plays terribly, you know, the save percentage goes down because they're tired. But, I don't know, they've just created a mess there in Vegas, and it's got to be becoming a big, pretty big distraction in the locker room. Although, last night, didn't show it. They just spanked Vancouver's ass, 5 nothing. I thought a dominant <laughs> performance by the Vegas Golden Knights. They, to me, are – pretty much a lock to make it to the conference final at least on paper they're the much stronger roster they're the more experienced team as far as playoff pedigree and the big boys showed up for them last night and that's going to be difficult for the canucks as they have a much younger team be interesting to see how their young stars can push back after that five nothing defeat
1: yeah and of course vegas had had a bunch of time to to gear up but again best of seven series i I see the canucks um Screwing things on straight here, as as John Tr- John Tortorella would like to say.
0: You gotta stop bringing up Torts here, man. <laughs> have to, man. I Tortorella. To.
1: Every episode, yes, I to have to. Here, he has to make he has to make a quick quick. The John Tortorella pod.
0: The John Tortorella pod. That's the what we'll exactly. start doing
1: on the side. Yeah, exactly. But no, th- this is huge, and and you know, obviously we're we're solely a Leafs podcast, but right now we we can't really talk about those guys right now, but on paper, the the Canucks and Leafs are, are quite, quite similar. And, you know, maybe people weren't really taking them seriously after they knocked off the wild in the playing round, but you know, the confidence that this will give Vancouver going forward is, is huge to knock off the defending cup champs. Vegas is going to be a really, really tough squad to, to knock off, but let's hope that they can carry what they had in the first round all the way through because it's going to be something special to watch. I don't know about you, but I haven't been able to watch or stay up for all these games. I saw the Marshall so goal last night, but after that I was like, I was just falling asleep on the couch.
0: I was watching the whole They're game too late. Night. Yeah. <laughs> that's been a pretty big complaint out East that the game start time is 10 o'clock, but obviously for the t- fans out West, that's yeah. like a more natural start time. So I understand right. why the NHL did it that way. I think it's a little bit ridiculous that the Eastern fans are complaining so much about the late start time, but then when you look at a league like the NBA who understands how to mar- market the premier matchups and put them in prime time on a Sunday afternoon so you can everybody has the opportunity to watch the best players in the game, I mean, it's two conflicting ideals, but obviously Bettman's chosen to make it easier for the fans for whichever particular team in that city to watch said team versus on a national or international level being concerned about that.
1: Exactly, yeah, I mean... The only time it gets tricky is when there's overtime, like you have a five OT thriller. Yeah, it gets and, a little late, you know, especially for the nine to fivers at the seven to threes, what have you. It's like okay, like I need to go to bed here. Obviously, it's it's amazing hockey to watch, and we're watching hockey in in August, so
0: yeah, can't complain. My um, only small complaint <laughs> is just the late bedtime. The I don't want to get too bogged down in the Vegas beatdown last night because I think what the Canucks have accomplished so far is really outstanding and they've done what the Maple Leafs haven't been able to do in being able to close out the Stanley Cup champs in game six the same opportunity that the Leafs had last year against the Bruins to close them out in game six and that's what you have to do when you're against these powerhouse teams is take advantage of your opportunity when their backs are up against the wall and close it out because if that one goes to seven you gotta feel like the Canucks are in a world of trouble with all the championship pedigree on the other side, this of savvy veterans, they find a way to get it done in those big moments. And perhaps the Canucks would have been a little bit more rattled in particular. I've been extremely impressed by the captain of the Vancouver Canucks Bo Horvat. I mean, this guy has arrived and guys out West will be saying, we all knew this the whole time. And perhaps it's because we don't get to watch the Western games as you alluded to as frequently as we get to watch the teams in the East. But this kid is a stud and he is dominating tough opposition in this postseason. I mean, some of the dangles that he's pulling off against experienced demon on Minnesota on St. Louis. I mean, it's been outstanding and I can't think of a guy who I'd rather have leading my franchise moving into the future, which got me thinking of all the captains on the Canadian teams right now, obviously, you know, you figure the guy in Edmonton is out of the question because he's obviously the best player in the world right now. Although some people might say Nate, the great is giving him a run for that with, the performances that he's been putting up in Colorado, but which of the Canadian captains would you want leading your team moving forward? And I'm not just talking about, you know, if you need to win one game or one playoff series, I'm talking about for the term, if you want your team to be winning in the next two, three, four, five years, which guy do you want? And I think that Horvat for the Canucks has a hell of an argument for being the number one guy that you'd want in that position right now.
1: Horvat would be my pick right now of course. And I was covering a piece with Farhan Lalji the other day a, um, a Canucks off day. And when he was up at the podium, Kenny, he just looks so poised and calm, almost like he's been to yeah. a conference final before. I mean, he's yeah. like, yeah, we're confident. Obviously, you know, it's a huge boost to beat the defending cup champs, but they, they, all the Canucks team, they they don't seem to be complacent at all. And obviously they know that, their main goal is to make a deep push and they're well coached with Travis green, but Horvat mainly just because I've, I've noticed obviously on the ice, he's spectacular, but off the ice, he's been very calm, a very calm captain. And that that's really good to see. Another guy I'd choose is probably Blake Wheeler on the jets. Yeah. Um, obviously he has that rugged style, but can, you know, put up 70, 60 points. And another guy who's a, a huge, huge locker room guy. And he, he seems to have all the guys, you know, buying in and not obviously the, that comes from the coach first and foremost, but I, I believe Wheeler would, would be my, my second pick. Obviously recency bias a Torbat of of course, yeah. and we're taking out McDavid, right? Because yeah, McDavid's
0: out. <laughs> he can't, can't yeah. be counting the guy in Edmonton yeah. because obviously he's the most dominant player in the league. Uh, I think Wheeler, when you look at him and what he means to the team and what he means to the fan base. Like I've got family in Winnipeg who are diehard jets fans and they love this guy in the peg. He's just that gritty guy who will, he'll fight. He'll go into the corners. He'll win the one-on-one battles, but he's still got enough of the offensive flair like you said, where he can put up pretty readily 70, 80 points a year. Um, I think that the recent track record speaks for itself on what he's been able to do during the regular season. And then, And now it's going to come down to, for him, what the Jets are able to do in the postseason because they sort of went from perennial cup favorites a couple of years back to now being one of those teams that's questionable whether or not they're going to even make it into the playoffs. So they need to make some adjustments, particularly on the back end in Winnipeg, and hopefully Wheeler can help to stabilize the front end. Uh, When I look at the other captains around the Canadian teams, I mean, I love Mark Giordano as a player. He's obviously a little bit long in the tooth at this point. uh, One of the longest-serving
1: players – currently yeah it was uh, it was outstanding it was
0: outstanding that he was able to win the norris to win that award at that age is just unreal uh when you look at the other defensemen uh in Montreal as well Shea Weber uh that's another guy that you would love to be a cornerstone of your team but again I'm not sure how much he has left in the tank he's getting a little bit older he plays a rugged game a physical style game which is taxing on your body and when you start getting up into your late 30s and you play that sort of style it can really start to slow down your feet a little bit. You know, it takes a little longer to recover. So I don't expect the same production out of him uh, moving forward. And when you look at the senators, obviously they don't have a C no captain. Like, I don't know what that's about. They got to figure that out, but they got a couple prime candidates. I expect that would be Brady Kachuk moving forward uh, based off the interactions that I've had with people who have a behind the scenes look in the Ottawa senators over at organization. But you figure the guy in the blue line, Thomas Shabbat, would be a good choice for that C as well, depending on which way you want to go. Either would be
1: great candidates moving forward. I'd probably have to go with Thomas Shabbat first. Obviously, they locked him up, eight-year deal, and he, he's the anchor of his team. And I, I don't know if, if Brady Kachuk really, really meets that captain style. Obviously, he's a phenomenal player, but personally, I think Shabbat would get the C when they make that decision.
0: Yeah. And let's not slight the guy in Toronto. Obviously, we're huge John Tavares guys being, you know, from Toronto, living in the city, seeing what this guy was able to do. I mean, especially on his first year with the team, 47 goals with the Maple Leafs. And that's where the recency bias comes in when we open up this discussion saying that Horvat might be the guy because we're sort of slighting JT a little bit by going with Horvat over Tavares. I think the recency bias is based off the fact that the Maple Leafs just simply – haven't been able to get it done in the postseason. And a lot of that comes down to the leadership group and whether or not this team has the stones to bring it to the next level and push past that first round. And until they do that, when I look at a team like Vancouver, who's been able to get past that at a faster rate than the Maple Leafs when they're a couple of years behind in their rebuild, I just think that that shows the character of the locker room, the, the galvanization that Travis Green has been able to accomplish with this group. And these guys are willing to fight together. I think that starts from the C down. And Horvat has done an amazing job at bringing this team together and pushing them through the first round. And now hopefully we'll give Vegas a good run for their money here in the second round.
1: And, of course, since we're, you know, rhyming off all six, two Canadian teams have a defenseman as their captain. Obviously, we mentioned Mark Giordano. And then Shea Weber. I was, I was still very impressed with with what the Canadians were able to do in the playoffs. Obviously, they ran into a hawk goaltender and Carter Hart, three shutouts combined in that series. Hart had two and Price had one. So it's again, tip my hat to to the halves because they're just I was watching so many of those games, Kenny, and it's like yeah. they they're dull the because really, they can't they gave the Flyers a real problem. And the they Flyers just were
0: looking excellent before that point.
1: They were, but it was one of those like one nothing, two nothing Zero zero through forty. It's like the, the Habs just can't score, and yeah. you know Tatar and Gallagher did what they could, but it's it's not exactly a flashy offense, and there's only so much Price can do. So, yeah, the question a tough for way me, to go
0: out for them. The question for me would be, looking forward to next season for Montreal. Obviously, they right. looked great uh, riding a well rested Carey Price after taking the time off, and we know what he's capable of when he get some momentum going He's still voted as the most difficult goalie in the league by his peers to score on so that shows you the pedigree that he has despite the fact that he's not necessarily up in the top as far as the numbers are concerned every year i have reservations about if you're going to put this guy in the net for 55 or 60 starts if he's going to be able to perform at that level a during the regular season but the b if you're able to make a push into the postseason, it's the same trouble the Maple Leafs have. They always end up having to ride Frederick Anderson down the stretch. And oftentimes that means because they're in that dogfight for one of the last playoff spots instead of really solidifying it more early on in the season, they end up riding this guy for you know 12 of the last 14 games or you know 10 of the last 10 games. And then he's coming into the playoffs and he's extremely burnt out and just tired because they haven't been able to sneak in the backup for a start. When I look at Montreal, I think that they're going to need to find a way to limit the amount of starts for Carey Price during the regular season while still finding a way to make it into the playoffs if they want to duplicate the success that they had this season.
1: Yeah, and you look at all the, the teams that are in the second round, you know, most boast a pretty pretty good tandem. You know, you look at Vegas with Fleury and Leonard, and then you look at Boston, and you lose your number one goaltender early on, and Halak came in and did a tremendous job. So, you know, everyone always likes to revert to the defense wins championships. Well, if you can have a a decent, stable backup goaltender, that's going to do wonders, too, because that's going to relieve the load on your starting goaltender. Something that the Leafs need and the Habs. Yeah.
0: And when we look at, like, those teams that you mentioned, like Montreal, obviously the defense played out of their mind, which is really able to help price uh, The Bruins have notoriously played. Uh, more defensively oriented style of game, a physical style of game, and that 's really helped them. and that 's something that has often been talked about for the Maple Leafs is the defensive style. And one thing that I hang my hat on as a Maple Leafs fan is looking at the offensive skilled guys and understanding that that's the sort of stuff that's more difficult to teach. Like you can't teach a guy to go out in the NHL and score 50 goals, but you can't teach a guy who can skate and has the skill set to score fifty how to lock it down on the defensive end. A lot of that to me comes down to coaching. So when I look at the Maple Leafs roster from top to bottom, you know, I believe that they can get Marner and I believe that they can get JT and I believe that they can get Nylander and Matthews and all these guys up and down the lineup, whoever's in the bottom six, obviously that's going to be a little bit more of a rotating door moving forward. They can teach that, but a lot of it's going to come down to coaching and some rumors floating around recently is they might be bringing in a more veteran coach to help out on the back end. And this is assuming that he doesn't get any head coaching offers because obviously he's a very notorious guy in the league. He's had a lot of success with the Capitals. He was the head coach of the Minnesota Wild this year. Yep. Bruce Boudreaux has been floating around as a possible candidate to come in and help shore up that defense as an assistant coach on the Maple Leafs. How do you like to see Brucey B on this coaching staff with Sheldon Keefe?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, it would be fitting, right? Grew up playing as a defenseman for the Leafs. Grew up a Leafs fan. I'm pretty sure all the Boudreuxs are family. I remember when he was coaching the Wild, he'd always have his his mother, like second row Platinum's, watching the games. It would be it would be great, and and it's came at a good time. Paul McFarland, uh, the power play specialist, has now gone back to Kingston to serve as the GM and the head coach, and this would mean that you'd have three NHL full-time coaches, not assistants. They've, they've been head coaches before. Dave Haxtell, obviously Sheldon Keefe, manning the bench as number one, and then Bruce Brujo. And we've seen this before. Look at the Philadelphia Flyers, right? Sportsnet panel pregame likes to use the word trident. Well, it's a pretty lethal trident in Philly. You have Alain Vigneault, Mike Yo, and Michelle Tarian. And where Philly is right now. But the problem is, like you alluded to, Kenny, is Brujo is probably still sniffing around for a head coaching job. So I'm sure if he doesn't like what he sees or doesn't like the offers he's getting, I'm sure he'd be like, heck yes, I'd love to be a part of the Toronto coaching staff.
0: I suspect that you're right. I think it all comes down to if there's a head coaching job available for him because he's Mm -hmm. obviously proven that he can win during the regular season. The real knock against Boudreaux has been he's not able to push his team to the next level in the second season in the playoffs. Uh, He's obviously finished with the Washington Capitals for a number of years, very high up in the league. I mean, won a number of presidents, trophies, really high winning percentage with them, but was never able to get them over the hump and into the Stanley Cup contention while he was there. Uh, He had a number of years with Anaheim, sort of same thing. Uh, A number of years finishing at the top of the group in the regular season, but then again, uh, wasn't able to duplicate the success in the postseason necessarily. So that's really been the knock on Boudreaux as a coach. I think that as a defensive mind, he's one of the best in the game. And ultimately, as I was alluding to before, I think that the defensive structure and the defensive teams buying into playing that structure ultimately comes down to coaching and experience particularly. And Boudreaux is obviously one of the most experienced defensive minds that's available on the market right now. And I would have to think that if the head coaching job isn't available, Kyle Dubis is going to be seriously pursuing this with a little push from the MLSE execs to bring this guy in and help shore up an area of the team that has really been under criticism for the last five years.
1: Yeah, I think with with bringing a guy like Boudreaux in, you would also add a little bit more toughness. I don't know if you remember seeing, it was in 2011 when they had the HBO access into the Washington Capitals dressing room and he just lights a fire under them. I think they had like a, an expletive effing counter up. And he probably dropped like 15 F-bombs in like a one minute intermission talk. Every third, like every third word, he was dropping F-bombs. Now, I mean, maybe, maybe the Leafs don't hear enough of that from Keefe. So perhaps it could add a different elements. He's older. He's 65. He's got like 25 years on, on Keefe. Would there be a power imbalance perhaps? Or at this point, he's like, I've been coaching since I was 40. I just want to win a chip.
0: Yeah, that's the one thing I would wonder about when I look at the Maple Leafs potentially bringing this guy in is, are you undermining your current head coach by bringing in the guy with this pedigree and this experience? Um, We talk so much about the backup goaltending position and how it's so important that the starter knows that they're the starter and they don't have a guy in their rearview mirror all the time. Some guys play better like that, but I think for the most part, starters in particular, Freddie Anderson, Likes to have a guy behind him who's a career backup who he knows isn't going to be jockeying for his position as starter, which is why Campbell has been perfect and which is why McElhaney worked out so well while he was here. I wonder if it's the same thing for a head coach. Like if you're bringing in a guy like Bruce Boudreaux and next season the season starts off, you know, to a terrible start, and I I don't suspect that Sheldon Keefe would be on the hot seat. Obviously, it's his first year, full first full year uh, at the helm for the team, so I figure he'll at least get a couple seasons to figure it out, but if things aren't going well, that can put a lot of pressure. And you know how this market gets? The chatter starts all of a sudden. It's like, is he the right guy? He's young. He doesn't have that much experience. There's a guy in the organization who has a ton of experience and that could create a lot of arbitrary pressure. That's unnecessary at this point in time, particularly when you're looking at the way that this group needs to develop. They don't need any extra distractions outside the locker room. And this could potentially be, become the biggest distraction moving into an off season where there's already a lot of questions.
1: Right. And, and you look on the other side of Keith, I mean, Dave Haxtell has has seemed to transition into this assistant coach role with ease, you know, perhaps it might not be the same story for Bujo. There, there might be more talk, but again, that would be a, a phenomenal, formidable trio manning the bench. If the Leafs were able to pull that off and they could very well likely do that.
0: Yeah. The other thing I wonder is how similar Boudreaux is to the Leafs' former head coach, Mike Babcock. He's a more old school a guy. Obviously, I think they probably sure. have similar ideologies when it comes to playing the defensive side of the puck. And obviously, Babcock, the Babcock experiment didn't work out for the Maple Leafs. And I also wonder if there might be a fit for the former Maple Leafs head coach in Bruce Boudreaux's old residence in Washington. They fired Reardon. He's out as the head coach after really a disastrous series against the Islanders. Like, that team looked terrible. Obviously, the management group coming out and saying that they feel like the culture is lacking there or it's begun to sort of lack a little bit, which is surprising to hear. Mm-hmm. Because they had to really establish a nice winning culture under Barry Trotz before he left after winning the chip a couple of years back. And they just haven't been able to figure it out since then and look like the dominant team that won the cup, particularly at all really in that series against Islanders. I wonder if Mike Babcock would be on the short list to take over the coaching job in Washington.
1: That poses an interesting um, dilemma now because yeah, it's weird. Cause it's like, here's a team that just won the cup two years ago. Are they really going to start, dare I say it rebuilding? I mean, they still have like a potent potent offense. You have uh a stud defenseman in John Carlson. But that, I mean, if Babcock wants to come back from his, uh, his Barbados uh, Villa, then sure. Or he's just going to keep sitting on that 50 mil because, you know, another guy, Barry Trotz. How good is he feeling right now? You coach he, the caps. He's feeling then great. now coaches the Islanders. And he just knocks off his old team. You want to talk about who's sitting in the library bar? It's Barry Trotz (laughs) and Lou Lamorello, and they're just
0: sitting there drinking their scotch on the rocks, laughing at the fact that the Maple Leafs are taking it packing, the Capitals are packing, and they're just sitting there like, you guys guys think you understand, but we're the guys who have been in the league for 30, 40, 50 years in Lou Lamorello's case, and we understand the game differently than you guys understand it. And here we are sitting as one of the final eight teams while everybody else is getting ready to hit the golf courses.
1: I think we need to take a trip to the library bar when we're allowed access to. Yeah, it's the in the bubble. We can't
0: yeah. crack in there now. Imagine
1: we just appeared.
0: Maybe we should just go drinking yeah. at the public library. <laughs> if we, can. like, if yeah, we can't get uh, to the library bar, we'll just uh, make so, go make some Manhattans.
1: Well, it's Hotel X and the Fairmont, right? That's where they're all. Uh, Hotel playing. X and the
0: Royal York. Yeah,
1: Fairmont, yeah. Royal York. Yeah. So right I'm downtown. sure – I don't know now that we're, they're, the teams are getting eliminated. I wonder if they're all just moving into one hotel. Who knows?
0: Uh, I'm not certain that they're trying to really move people around. It's been working so far. So I think they're That's just going to stay put until, until the end here, not trying to yeah. make it too complicated. Do you see Gritty is uh, wheeling around in Toronto, Ohio? Gritty
1: just drives me nuts, man. Like, th- there's so- <laughs> He's like, no, he's he's like just- I figure
0: out a way to get to Toronto. and I was like, oh. Wow, the Canadian government made the exception. They're laying in the mascot. Like I was like, maybe they just mail the suit up here, and then they're gonna have some guy on the staff be walking around in the arena. But no, he's just wheeling around in Toronto, Ohio, like this tiny little town, just trolling everybody.
1: <laughs> well, it's like the uh, it's like the characters in in, in Disney World. Like they all, obviously like changed up who's actually in the costume. But I feel like there's just one dude in the gritty costume. Like that's his full-time gig. Like I don't think Carlton the bear has a soul person in there for each game you think there's like numerous people you're ruining I think this there's, for a lot of i think there's one the podcast right now
0: like, <laughs> there's one dude for gritty <laughs> yeah this he, he's just one like he's just like where's the same nutcase? Suit. it's got his own stench in there it's yeah. familiar like i'm man can you imagine like for example like the raptors they have those mascots that are constantly doing backflips and dunks and all that sort of it's stuff nuts. And, yeah the athleticism is incredible but if a guy's you know wheeling around in that suit doing all that stuff and he's just like a sweaty dude the just same like, antics yeah just soaking up in like the big padding of the costume and then you gotta go put it on after that and you're just yeah. like oh what the hell was this guy eating he like went on a bender before <laughs> the night before the whole suit just reeks like tequila what a disaster
1: <laughs> it's like gritty's been into one he needs to lay it off we're gonna Gritty, give him the
0: night off gritty's definitely been on the sauce oh yeah well he's wheeling around philly
1: Oh, yeah. He loves those Philly cheesesteaks, too. He probably has one pregame and post. Okay, one of the things that drives me
0: crazy about the Maple Leafs offseason is how everybody's always pitching these preposterous trade propositions. So let's just call it what it is. Like, they think that they can get the world for Janssen Kapanen, in a second-round pick, and for some reason they're going to be getting this massive return, you know, a top right-handed shot defenseman. Uh, Recently, one of the propositions that I saw on Twitter that was making the rounds – Involved the centerpieces of Mitch Marner and then Matt Dumba for the Minnesota wild. There were some other players involved, maybe some picks. I think the one that I saw a second round pick, it had a couple depth forwards involved. Mm -hmm. What do you make of these sorts of trade propositions? Because I find it ridiculous that we're even talking about this. It seemed pretty clear that Dubis wants Marner to stick around for the duration of his career in Toronto. So why are we even throwing this out there after he came out with this endorsement? Seemingly about what? When was there an end of media availability? Like ten days ago? 10 yeah, roughly. Ago? Nothing's changed. He obviously wants Martyr to stay here, so why are why the hell are we here proposing these trades?
1: Yeah, the Twitter yeah, that's crazy. The the, the Twitter into it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the Twitter sphere like is like always gonna these... get fired up in Leafland, but I mean it is a bit preposterous given Mitch's AAV. Dumbo would be a great acquisition, no doubt. He's twenty six. He has an AAV of six mil on the nose. And, you know, Minnesota has an aging core, Kenny. They got a bunch of guys still on long-term deals. uh, Parise and, well, Parise in particular. But again, a lot of guys who are at the end of their careers. And I don't think that contract is something the Wild are going to take on. I mean, I, I would see more of Nylander's contract, and Nylander being more expendable because the the wild don't have a lot of flair. And of course you're going to have to package a ton onto that. Maybe like a couple more picks, maybe even Janssen or Kapanen.
0: The trade I saw was actually proposed from like
1: a guy in Minnesota.
0: So it's not as if this is a Toronto guy proposing this trade. Okay. It was Marner goes to the wild and then coming back the other way, you get the ninth overall pick from Minnesota, Matt Dumba, Jordan Greenway, and Vladislav, first off, that he, he's just like more of a depth forward, a proposition or a prospect that needs a little little bit of work. So sorry if I butchered the pronunciation there. No, but, that sounded great. Yeah, it's, it, like why would Minnesota pay that? It doesn't seem legit that they're going to be parting with a top four right-handed shot defenseman, which are the hardest thing to find, a first-round pick at number nine, which would be a great acquisition coming the other way. And then you got two other pieces coming in. The Leafs aren't even playing on trading Marner, so I don't even know why we're yeah, talking I don't about
1: think, it. Yeah, I don't think Marner w- would be packaged into that deal, considering the, the arduous process they had to go through and, and trying to lock him down. And Dubis, as you alluded to before, has no intention of moving their third highest player. For me, if, if you get Nylander into the mix and you know, maybe even package on a, a couple defensemen in your pipeline – they could take a swing at getting Dumba because he would, he would fit in that back end quite nicely, especially give – and he would especially give Morgan Riley a big boost as well. Contractually, it wouldn't make player. sense just, to move yeah, him on or. It just yeah. doesn't
0: make sense. Everybody proposing these will ultimately come down to bullshit trades and think Maple Leafs Nation thinking that they're going to get this huge return when the perceived value isn't there from outside teams. Like, basically, Kapanen and Janssen are third-line guys who are under a reasonable contract for a short term. Right. What's the expectation that you're going to get back from those guys? Because you're obviously going to have to package a either that and some other prospects or some draft picks and things of value to bring back anything worthwhile the other way. And Charles has been just throwing picks around like top picks around for the last couple of years. Like obviously they don't draft in the first round this year because they had to dump it for the Patrick Marlowe deal last year. They threw their first round pick to LA to bring in Jake Muzzin at a certain point that starts catching up with you because you're going to go to the cabinet, and the cabinet's going to be empty because right. you're able to fill, refill it through the draft because you
1: keep throwing these picks all around. You have nothing left in your TFSA. It's gone.
0: Nothing. You're you're 86. You're tapped out. The 401k. <laughs> the you got nothing, and and you're in a world of trouble because now you're on the eve of retirement, and you realize you never since saved a dime in your life. Uh, in this case, they got a lot of penny stocks. I'd say because they got a ton of picks in like the sixth and seventh round. They did. Those are and the penny stocks of picks. You every couple, couple of years. Of them, but
1: Every couple of years, you get a few gems in the 6th, 7th round. Henrik Lundqvist.
0: Yeah, Pavel Datsu comes to mind. But those are just crapshoots, man. Like, those late picks, it's just like, you have no idea. You can just as well pick up a lot of these guys as free agents after just because they don't get drafted and get just as lucky. I mean... Because if anybody knew that Datsuk was going to turn into Datsuk or Lunquist was going to turn into Lunquist, obviously they wouldn't have slipped down to the sixth or seventh round. It's not like New York is sitting there thinking, oh, man, this guy's going to be a franchise goalie. He's going to be the goaltender of Team Sweden. He's going to be the guy for the next 15 years, but nobody else knows. So we're just going to let him slip to the sixth or seventh round. No, they're not saying that. They're just saying this guy looks pretty good. Why don't we take a flyer on him and it ends up working out? That's what Toronto has to do with all their picks right now. And hopefully, like, let's see, they've got this year, one in the fifth round, three in the sixth round, and three in the seventh round. I'd say they'd be lucky if they can turn one or two of those guys into NHL regulars.
1: They could. And, I mean, obviously, we talked about this before with with Timothy Lilligren's development, and he hasn't really shown much, but perhaps, you know, he can be that guy. And especially maybe developing into a top-four guy. Maybe maybe can... Obviously, it's still fresh for, for a lot of people. Maybe they don't do anything at all. Maybe they – they obviously, CeCe and Barry are going to walk. Maybe Dubas is just going to have faith in, in his pipeline and and give some of these young guys a chance because it seems to always be the case of, oh, we need a right-shot defenseman. It's like, well, every team – as you said, every team could use one of those
0: guys. Everybody needs that. Like, that's we're up against thing. the you cap, think, like,
1: simply put. It's going to be very difficult to do that. They were talking very about
0: difficult. it on Overdrive. And they're like, "What you think? Winnipeg isn't out there looking for a right shot defenseman? You think yeah. that like Montreal isn't out there shopping looking for a right shot defenseman to bolster their lineup? Like everybody is looking for this position, and that yeah. drives up the it's price. It's a coveted position. Yeah, it's like what it's like. What the hell are you thinking? Nick, the, that other GMs are just going to do Dubis a favor because he the right side of his decor is depleted. No, yeah. they see that, and they're going to take advantage <laughs> when they're trying to make a trade. Yeah, they're like, I know that you need this position." so badly. And I know that the market wants it so badly. That drives the price up. We gotta stop talking about it. We gotta yeah. stop talking about Toronto <laughs> needing a right handed D man to help the organization acquire one because the more that we talk about it, the more other GMs are gonna have their, you know, foot on the gas or foot on the pressure point just trying to drive up the price on us.
1: They know that's the one thing that Dubis so desperately needs. Yeah. Everything everything else is is running pretty well, yeah. considering and that's one thing. It's like, Oh we're not, yeah. We're not going to give you a freebie. Yeah. Hey, here's Brandon Tanev. Like it's, I use you. I brought him up. Because he is, he is a UFA after this season. And I know they were kicking tires on that guy, but you could just list a bunch of right-handed defensemen. It's like, sure. We'll take him. But it's like, well, there's going to be, you know, well now with Seattle, there's going to be 31 other teams. I mean, like we want one too. So. Yeah. Ah.
0: Yeah. It's a, it, it's annoying. Uh, before we get out of here, I just want to run through like the remaining series. And get, get your thoughts on that. A little bit of a surprise that Dallas jumped out to an early lead, one nothing lead on the Avalanche. They were sort of steamrolling coming into this series, but Dallas should not be taken lightly. Last year, they lost in seven to the St. Louis Blues, who ultimately ended up going on to be the cup champion. So we know that they were right there a year ago. You see Colorado bouncing back and being able to take over this series, or you think that the Stars are, should be the favorites moving forward?
1: Stars always surprise me, man. They really fly under the radar, and obviously Tyler Sagan just got going recently, uh, finally able to pot his first of the playoffs. You know, every, even mid-season, I was like, the Stars are in third in the Central, yeah. and they—they they, obviously they boast a, a pretty good team with Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan. Back away. looks good. Klingberg, Hyskinen—that Hyskinen can play. It's going to be a deep series, no doubt. But I think Colorado is on a damn mission. Yeah. and of course it's a former Leaf, Kenny. That's tearing it up. I think Kadri is like top three in points.
0: Yeah, I got a little side bet that Kadri uh, will end up the in, with more points than Stone in the playoffs. We won't see oh, yeah. with who. I think I think you yeah. might I think you might know who I've got that bet with. But yeah, locked Qadri. on Senator locked on Senators
1: <laughs> podcast host.
0: Yeah, the Avs like just look like they've got it all together right now. They've got the grit. They've got the speed up front. I mean, McKinnon is dominating play. It's unreal. Yeah. Nate Dong. You look at at Ranton and Landis Cog. I mean, Kale McCarr on the back end looks like a five year veteran back there. The way that he's able to break the puck out, the way that the amount of points that he puts up, he quarterbacks that power play. I mean, they look outstanding in Colorado. Uh, I would say Dallas, to your point that they're surprising, I was ready to write off this core two years ago. Because they weren't getting it done. It just seemed like Ben had been there forever. Sagan had been there forever. They weren't winning. Radulov is sort of like, he puts up big numbers. But outside of that, I wasn't seeing the depth. I do think the addition of Joe Pavelski has done wonders for that team and the locker room. Like this guy was obviously a heart and soul guy of the San Jose Sharks. And then they lose him. And they don't realize how much that, or maybe they did realize how much they were going to lose. But they just couldn't afford to pay him with all the money they have looped up in their back end. He's a heart and soul playoff guy, and he is really paying dividends for the Dallas Stars since he made the move over from San Jose.
1: I forgot about him too. That add him to to one of the guys leading the, game him in in the Dallas mix, Corey
0: Perry in the bottom four, bottom three.
1: A lot of guys with with deep run playoff experience, so
0: not to be trifled with. But I do like the Avalanche coming out on top in that series. Uh, one game last night, the Bruins and the Lightning. You know, Boston ends up hanging on Tampa with the late goal with a late goal with empty net to cl- claw within one and ruin everybody's day who had the puck line as Boston wasn't able to bury the empty netter, so sorry to anybody that had that one but the Bruins I thought in the third period they looked a little bit lost in the second period they were getting dominated by Tampa Bay during the second but in the third period I thought that they came out with intention and were really able to shut the door on the Tampa offense Yara I thought had an excellent game both goals against him Bounced off Charlie McAvoy. So tough night for McAvoy in front of the net. Boston yet again finds a way to get it done in the postseason. And you've got to feel if Tampa Bay can't get it done against Boston this year, the book is start gonna start sort of sounding like the Toronto Maple Leafs, where they're an excellent regular season team who doesn't live up to expectations once they get into the postseason.
1: You're absolutely right. I, I see this series going seven. Absolutely. I don't have a winner because it's just so tight. We were always waiting for this matchup to happen. And one of the biggest things with Boston, we you know, they're the big bad Bruins. They're physical. They got a loaded top line and Pasternak, Bergeron, and Marshon. But the they just perfection. don't panic. They never panic. It's like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll lose Rask, and you know, obviously, we're, we're thinking of Tuka Rask and his family. I believe his daughter had a medical emergency, so they're thoughts and prayers him with them.
0: The Coles in Boston, and it's so hard to watch.
1: And it's the beginning of a series that he has to leave. Yeah. And tough the way the Boston stuff
0: on the locker room, like
1: absolutely like and... obviously
0: the family comes first. And I think that anybody who doesn't understand that, like, I don't think that Boston will be any worse for wear just saying, All right, we don't want you as a part of our fan base if you can't understand that there are more important things than hockey. Having said that, it's still an extremely difficult position for your team when a guy with Rask's pedigree and the way he's been able to win in the postseason leaves the team on such short notice really impressive job by the team to bounce back and get a big win in game one. And a more impressive job from Yaro Halak, who's been
1: absolutely as the
0: guy now, like he's, he's the number one guy and we've seen what he's capable of in the postseason in the past. You remember that run? He took the Montreal Canadians on back in the day. This is a guy who the team believes in and he believes in himself. And, He's going to have to be the right guy for the job and outperform a very talented goaltender on the other end, in Andre Vasilevsky, if Boston's going to have a chance to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals.
1: And that might be the tipping point, just solely on a on a hockey note, because, because Halak has, has done a, a really good job. And it's from a hockey sense, it is too bad that the Boston Bruins did lose Rask, but that could that could make or break uh, a seventh a seventh game in a do or die situation. Vasilevsky could have the upper edge, but Halak's been hot right now. I'm interested to see how how far he can uh, keep his team going.
0: Yeah, and there's no real backup situation there now. Obviously, before, when you have Rask, if you need to call in Halak, you feel pretty comfortable with that. I'm not sure how d- deep the Boston Bruins goaltending situation is, but you got to feel like their third guy is not going to have the same pedigree as either of those guys in the first and second slot. So no. it's going to be Halak, ride or die. Um, the last series... The Isles and the Flyers game one of that one going tonight. Woo! I thought that the Flyers last one to were start steamrolling. I thought that the Flyers looked like the best team in the East. Obviously, they locked up the one seed out of that weird, you know, round robin play and round whatever the hell we're calling that. They yeah. were looking excellent against the top teams in the Eastern Conference, and then they hit a Montreal team who was really able to slow them down quite a bit. And I thought that they gave them more trouble than Philly was really expecting. Whereas the Isles, on the other hand, are coming in hot like they just handled the Washington Capitals no problem I think it was what five games for that series and a series where I thought that the Islanders would sneak out the win but I didn't see them finishing them off in five games I mean that's a veteran team in Washington and they're a well-coached team in the islands with Barry Trotz behind the bench we were talking about earlier Lou Lamorello's put this team together to play that grinding physical style very similar to those teams he used to put together back in New Jersey they don't play fun exciting hockey but they'll grind out wins. This is going to be a very difficult series for the Flyers.
1: Well, it's a similar situation the Islanders have like with Canucks, you know, you're riding a high, you just knocked off, you know, a top top tier team. And in the Islanders' case, it's it's the Capitals. And again, another team that's kind of flying under the radar, but I don't think that the Flyers will will, you know, give them much trouble as the Caps the Caps still you know, gave him a tough time despite the series outcome, but on paper and in terms of skill, I, I don't, th- I don't think the Islanders would have trouble getting through the flyers. I mean, the flyers aren't that potent of a team compared to a, you know, Bruins or lightning and the Islanders are high. They're on, they're on a major high right now. And, and this is, this is really nice to see obviously well coached. I, I said, Bruce Boudreau, you know, before leaving Washington Comes back to the Islanders, beats Barry his former Trotz, team.
0: Barry Trotz. Barry Trotz, pardon yeah, me. We have Boudreaux on the minds because we were talking about him. Earlier. Yeah.
1: Barry Trotz, pardon me. So, again, that that's one of the major things, man. A, a, a coach can do wonders. Obviously, they're not in the playoffs this year, but Florida Panthers with Joel Quenville.
0: I think, feel like they're going to be knocking on the door soon. They're going to have a new GM who's going to shake up that roster yeah. a bit. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see them competing with the Maple Leafs for that third spot in the Atlantic, assuming that Tampa Bay and Boston are going to be in their proverbial one and two spots there. I think for the Flyers, the main thing is they just have to get their big guns going. Like they've been doing it with secondary scoring to this point. You really haven't seen the production of Giroux. You haven't seen the production out of Couturier, out of Konechny, out of Van Riemsdyk. I mean, these are guys who were studs. seen anything
1: them. from Van Riemsdyk. No, they haven't, they haven't ever. put
0: up big numbers. I mean, they were throwing up a stat the other day where it was like, I think it was Van Riemsdyk, Konechny, Hayes, um, Couturier. Like, there was, it was all the top scorers for them during the regular season and still hadn't scored a goal yet. Mm-hmm. First round against Montreal, and some of that can be frustration when you're playing against a goalie like Carey Price. Obviously, it's easy to start gripping the stick a little too tight. My favorite hockey cliche, whatever that means. Whenever a guy's not playing well, uh, he's just gripping the he's stick up tight. He's too tight. Yeah, yeah. he's uh, grabbing it too tight. He used to loosen up on the old Northland and <laughs> – They'll be able to score a couple more goals. But they haven't had the production yet. And they're gonna need the big guys to step up in this series against the Islanders, or they're gonna be in for a hell of a ride. They're gonna the Islanders are gonna frustrate the shit out of the Flyers with that hard-checking, sort of annoying style of game. They play tight defensively, they block shots, they're physical. Yeah. They roll all four lines. I mean, they got no problem throwing out Clutterbuck and Szezikas and Matt Martin and Leo Komarov and all these guys who are not finesse guys, but they're two-way players who make it really difficult on the other team. And they have success. They've had success in the playoffs. If you remember last year, they knocked off the Penguins in the first round. So obviously, right. the formula is there. Swept them,
1: did they not? Yeah,
0: they swept Pittsburgh. <laughs> and obviously, the formula is there, and they have a chance now to upset who. Likely, I would consider it to be the favorites. Obviously, they're the higher seed in the Flyers. No home ice advantage, though, which plays in the Isles' favor with that sort of grind them down style of game. I think Philly's really going to have their hands full, and it'll be interesting to see the, from a coaching matchup perspective who has the edge, Barry Trotz or Elaine Vignon, both veteran guys behind the bench. And that's what we have for you today on Episode 5 of Not Another Leafs Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. BMAC, what do you got going on for the rest of the day here? You're going to go enjoy a couple beers on the patio. It's another beautiful day in downtown Toronto. A little bit warm, though. So if you are going to spend some time outside, I suspect you bring a
1: cool beverage. A cool little baby. Maybe a land shark. I might have to throw on a little workout.
0: I got to be honest. I was into the land sharks a little bit last night. Fins up. Oh, yeah? Yeah, you throw them in the cooler. Man, they go down so easy. It's just the perfect summer. I know. But then the problem is. I know. And then you've had
1: six, and it's like, oops.
0: Yeah, whole six pack is completely gassed. And you're just like, wow. now, what do I do? Can't
1: well, I got to go back to the LCBO. Yeah, I got
0: to walk to the LCBO because you can't jump behind the wheels. Just got to take the trek down the hill. And especially on a Sunday, that's a little bit of a problem. They close up at five o'clock. So if you're not planning ahead, you are in one or you're not going to be in one because you aren't going to be able to buy anymore.
1: Yeah. Could you imagine like a nine to five or it's 430? It's like, hey, boss, you mind if I leave a little early? The LC closes in a half hour.
0: Man, uh, in the restaurant I work in, that's five so o'clock many times. Like, they'll just be like, like the kitchen guys will just be like, all right, like who's going to the LCBO and they just sneak out the back door, like during service. It's that's like, awesome. It's like 845. <laughs> they go to LCBO and then just come back with a bunch of tall boys and hide them in the cooler and they just drink them for the rest of service. I won't uh, name names on the, the restaurant or the employees who are involved here. So there's no implications, but I feel
1: like that's a pretty common thing. 5pm closing. W- where is this LCBO located? No, only on Sundays. Oh, on Sundays. Yeah, Sundays. Oh, well, then so, that's. So I, I guess
0: it doesn't even matter for the nine to five yeah. because they aren't working on yeah. Sunday. But if no. you're just trying to have a couple beers on the barbecue, you have like a little evening barbecue going on, you don't plan ahead, then yeah. you are in some trouble if you're not thinking ahead of that one. You got to find the weird bootlegger guy. Yeah. Give Still, a that's an early that, time
1: to close. Like you'd think six would be like the cutoff, but
0: yeah, oh. six, seven o'clock. Like especially when we got Canucks games on at 10 o'clock at night. I know. Like, come on, what, there's the a few start. games
1: that had to be shifted to as late as 10:45. I'm like, you think a full a full game starting at 10:45, and you have like OT, like you're not going to bed till like three. Yeah. Yeah, it's for Crazy. sure
0: late for the Eastern fans, but yeah. I think it's a pretty easy solution for Eastern fans. If you want an earlier start time, simply get one of the Eastern Canadian teams <laughs> push through to the second round of the playoffs, and then you can watch your hockey starting at uh, 7.05 or, yeah. or seven three year. 7.10 puck drop. Yeah, whatever the hell they want to do. I, don't understand. I never understood that either, Brendan, like why the game says it's a 7 o'clock start time, and then it's like hockey night in Canada, and then they drop the puck at like 7.20. I know. It's like, why don't you just start the game? Say like it's a 7.20 start time, and then they just do all these uh, semantics in the beginning of the game. Anyways, that's a conversation for another day. This has been episode five of Not Another Leafs Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. We'll catch you next time.